proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the Reformed Confessions of the Faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. My name is Chris Santola, and I am here with my co-hosts Aaron Carr and Zach Fisher. What's going on, gentlemen? What's up, guys? How's everybody doing? Not doing well. Doing well. So, Living it up in sunny Southern California, and uh, and I heard sunny Michigan earlier as well. Finally, finally, yes, <laughs> your glory. <laughs> <laughs> but it changes on a dime, brother. It changes on a dime. Oh yeah. So, well, uh, there's something we need to bring up here right from the beginning because today we're going to be addressing repentance, and as we do, we need to address this issue of what's been on social media here this last week, and that is this matter of male rompers. This is a serious societal. It's a sin of our society. <laughs> it is. There is a need for national repentance right now. the 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 only real question is: Do either of you own a pair? I don't. It, could you call it a pair? It's like a full onesie. It's not really it's like, like a, a pair onesie of pants. for men. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I do not own. I do well, not own one. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna even pretend I know what to call them. Okay. I don't own them. No. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't. All right. <laughs> no. This is a. Uh, this is. We need to move from romp hymns to like sackcloth and ashes. That's what needs to happen. <laughs> yeah. I cover my head with dirt. I shave or shave my head. Yep. Yep. You guys yep. are already there. You know, the the scary thing is at some point in uh, the span of man's life, they're going to look back at this period and just truly repent, truly have like this moment of, I can't believe that was even something. It's like the, it's like the Babylon Bee article that, you know, the Lord brought us through skinny jeans, but we don't want to, we don't want to force this on our society. I think it's too much. (laughs) Pushes off the edge of the flat earth. Yeah, worship leaders, and I can say this as a former worship leader, but we're notorious for doing these questionable uh, choices with our clothing. And so I, I do have some skinny jeans in my drawer, I will admit that, but I do not own a romp him, So No true reformed pastor, leader, <laughs> elder could ever be found in rompers. Never. No matter how. I mean, there's some cool floral patterns. There's some stripes. There's little pockets. But I, I don't know. It's not enough. Wooden shoes, maybe, but absolutely no rompers. Yes. Wooden shoes. That's for you, Chris. The Dutch. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, so so let's actually turn the corner here and get to repentance. Uh, chapter 15 of the Westminster Confession of Faith of Repentance Unto Life. Now, we need to kind of give a little background to this. This is following uh, the doctrine of saving faith, and now we're into repentance unto life. These two together are often uh, identified as the twin sisters. Uh, they're born together. There's arguments about which comes first, and uh, but clearly the, uh, the necessity that both of these fruits uh, faith and repentance uh, are are true and real, 
and today we're going to deal with the doctrine of repentance unto life. So, Chris, why don't you start us off with the way uh, we should maybe define repentance? Well, I think as we start talking repentance, that the first thing we need to consider with that is that this is something that springs forth out of a regenerated heart uh, that uh, as one goes about repenting to God, that it is a change of mind towards God, that that mind that was once at enmity with God, hostile towards God, uh, is suddenly turning in obedience to God and believing upon Christ as Savior and Lord, and ultimately finding Christ to be supremely desirable. And so in that, we have a a change of direction of the mind in repentance. And with that uh, also comes a turning away, because we're turning to God from sin. And so with that, then, there is a turning away from our former life, from who we once were, uh, from the way we once lived in sin, and turning to God. So repentance unto life... um is a turning, is what I hear you um, explaining it as. And that turn um, can be sharp and uh, steady. For some of us, it's a little more wide, and uh, the the repenting process is uh, uh, maybe longer, <laughs> more drawn out. Uh, <laughs> but in, any, in either respect, it's uh, both, uh, as the Westminster Confession says, an evangelical grace. It's not something we produce in and of ourselves. It's... it's uh, it's a fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in us as he applies the work of Christ. Um, and I want to just kind of walk through this for a minute, that when an uh, individual is, 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 is regenerated, and as they look at the law, and now the first time they see themselves in the Scriptures, through the mirror of Scriptures, they see themselves, as uh, the Westminster Confession would say, very ugly, uh, filthy, um, and they're impacted by the real danger of the of the waywardness in which they're living, the disobedience. Um, there's a there's a there's a grieve they grieve their uh, their state. When you look at that, um, let's talk about your guys's own uh, experience in that. How often does that occur? How often should that occur? Is this just like a one time deal and we move on, or is this something that occurs again and again and again um, throughout the Christian life? Well, I would say that. Initially, there there is a first time, you know, um, of repentance in the life you know, of a non-believer when when they're converted. So that's that's a response to the gospel message. So when someone's converted, there is a there is a one time where that happens at first. But I think we would all agree that repentance is something that is continual throughout the life of a of a true believer. That we don't ever stop repenting. Yeah, there is one time where we initially turned from our sin and then looked upon Christ and embraced Him. Um, but even as even as um, one of God's uh, adopted children, we have to continually repent. And Aaron, like you pointed out earlier, before we, I think before we hit record, you said it's repenting of our particular sins. You know, as they come to mind, as we're made aware, we are responsible as, as a true Christian to continue repenting of those known sins. Yeah. Yeah, I think it always brings me back to Luther's 95 Theses, and the first of those says, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And so as it's not only that initial repentance towards God, 
but that as we live out our lives day to day, we're always repenting of the various sins that we see. And that needs to be a corporate repentance of, you know, Lord, uh, forgive me of my sin, you know, kind of a general repentance because, you know, there's sins of omission where, you know, we don't even recognize that we've sinned, but we have, and we need to seek God's forgiveness in just recognizing that uh, we've done that uh, without even knowing. And then as well, we need to, as you said, confess our sins that we do know of specifically and seek God's forgiveness in those areas as well. Isn't it interesting that when we talk about this, um, this whole teaching on repentance that associated with true repentance, it's not just lip service of I'm sorry, it's an actual turning and a uh, 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 endeavoring, I think is what the confession says, to walk with Christ now, to walk in that direction, yeah. uh, the change in behavior. And uh, this is not something that you earn forgiveness, it, it, but it is clearly something that when there's a change, it is a true turning in 180 degrees, and I am now uh, endeavoring to to honor Christ, to to bring Him glory by the by the choices I make, the actions I do. Um, Zach, I want to kind of look at the third section here. It says, um, repentance is not to be rested in as any satisfaction for sin. And obviously they're dealing with the idea of penance here in the Catholic faith, but it goes far farther reaching than just the Catholic faith. I would say uh, most people in in our society have this kind of already ingrained in them is that true that that they if they do something wrong they got to make up for it on the other end yeah i think that just goes back you know by nature we always gravitate toward uh like a works-based you know type of uh christian life it's just in our human nature to feel like well we can earn we, we earn brownie points or if we've done something wrong uh, we can make that right by, you know, balancing the scales with, well, I did this, and so now in order to cancel that, I'm going to do this. And so there might be a, a genuine, hey, I, I do feel bad about this. L- let me make it up to God or let me make it up to my friends or whatever. But we would say that true repentance isn't about just throwing in a couple good works to equal out, you know, something sinful that you did, but it's an actual turning from that. And then g- good works flow because that's what you turn to, right? You turn from your sins and then you turn toward um, the law, if I can say that, not not in a way to earn anything, but in a way uh, out of gratitude to be obedient, I would say. Yeah, and the, and the foundation of our salvation is always resting in the finished work of Jesus. And so therefore, this right. is just the verbal acknowledgement, the heart acknowledgement of, hey, I, I, I suck, and I, I need to repent of this, <laughs> and now I need to pursue Jesus, and it's only by the grace of God, A, I'm recognizing it, or B, that I'm in, endeavoring to follow him and have the ability to follow him. So, Right, and that's why, that's why repentance uh, needs to be continual for a believer, because it is evidence of genuine faith. The fact that you are genuinely repentant of your sins and that you do love Christ um, that is a continual pattern that should be in your life. That's part of the fruit, I would say, of, of genuine conversion. We talk a lot, and, and I'm going to aim this one at you, Chris. We, we talk a lot about, about faith and the importance of faith, and we're saved by faith. But equally, repentance is, is right there, that, that repentance is expected and, uh, and necessary um, because it's, it's a, a valid fruit, an expected fruit of a believer— and what, what do you do if somebody says, uh, I, I, don't, 
I don't know that I need to repent. I mean, Jesus paid it all. Why do I need to bring up my past? I just, I, I'm cool. God took care of it. Let's just keep marching forward. What do you say to that guy? Well, I would say first and foremost that even when we look at the word confess, that the, the word confess in a, in a very literal sense would mean to agree with or to say the same thing. Um, that God desires us to come before him acknowledging our sinfulness, acknowledging our brokenness, and confessing our sin for what it is. And so in repentance, if we're you know, literally turning to God, there has to be something that we are turning away from. If we don't even acknowledge what that is, if we don't even want to acknowledge uh, what our particular sins are, how are we going to move past that? How are we going to turn to God from that if we're never even acknowledging that there is any kind of an issue with it? Yeah, I mean, if someone told me, hey, I love Jesus, um, but I don't really need to stop doing this particular thing, I mean, I would say that that's, that's evidence of a heart that's not genuinely transformed yet. You know, that's not a regenerate heart speaking. I mean, are, do we all repent perfectly every single time? No. And like Aaron pointed out, um, some for some people it's a lot more gradual, you know. Um, but as those sins come to light, and that's that's the key issue is that known we're talking about known sins here. You know, as they come to light, um, the fruit of a genuine regenerate heart is repentance of those sins, you know, and turning to Christ, um, resting in His forgiveness for those. You know, we don't repent like you, like we said earlier to earn any kind of brownie points with God. Jesus has satisfied that, and it's His. Um, it's his righteousness imputed to us, but out of gratitude for that and out of love for Christ, we do turn from those sins. So, so what I'm getting out of this is, hey, repentance is a big deal. Repentance is something that the Christian needs to take serious because um, it's an offense against God. The, the sins that we do are grievous and heinous. Uh, the Westminster says there's no sin that's too small. <laughs> uh, every sin deserves the, the, the wrath of God, the judgment. That's hence why Jesus went to the cross. Yet at the same time, um, there is no sin too great that God can't take care of it through the, through the finished work of Jesus. And so in that connection, believers need to take sin seriously, but we also, on the other side, don't want to be so weighed down that all we're doing is is living with guilt and in the bondage of, of feeling that we're just totally unsavable. And I think that's a real issue a lot of people wrestle with. They, you know, there's, to come back to something we've, we talk to every once, about once in a while is the older brother, younger brother mentality. The older brother in Luke 15 thought he was earning his salvation. He was good enough. But the younger brother thought there's no way God will ever, or his father would ever receive him back home. I'll just go and slave for him. Maybe at least I'm better to be a slave in his home. And so you can see where, on one side of this, hey, you suck. You're a sinner, <laughs> and it's filthy and heinous, and it sends Jesus to the cross. And when you see that, there should be a broken heart, a brokenness. But on the other side, gentlemen, there there is a a realness that some people feel they're just they're unforgivable. You know the things they've done, and so let's 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 flesh that out a little bit. How do we give those people assurance that? It is true that there is no sin so great that Jesus can't save them. Well, for one, I think that repentance in and of itself is a, a very assuring thing, or, or that in repenting that there's a great deal of assurance, because I think when we look to assurance, when we want assurance, one of the things we have to ask is, are we still looking to the cross? 
Um, it's one thing to acknowledge that you're a sinner and feel bad about that. Are we turning to Christ? Are we looking to Christ as Savior? Uh, are we bringing our sin and laying it there upon him at the cross? Are we, are, are we pleading the blood of Christ for our sin? We, that in, in doing that in and of itself is an act of repentance. Um, if all we're doing is simply acknowledging we're a sinner, then there's no assurance of anything in that. And so I think just the fact that we are repenting and we are turning to God in that way and seeking his grace and mercy and forgiveness, that there is great assurance in that. I think the key with that is always looking to Christ, because I know I've got one friend um, who, and, and, he, and he's, he's totally aware of this, so I'm not picking on him, but his tendency is to become so introspective, like over his sin, he'll get anxiety sometimes, and it's hard for him to get out of that rut to where he is truly broken over his sin, but he's so bogged down by it, and it causes him emotionally just to kind of freeze, you know? Um, and, and that's, that's the key for people like that is, Hey, if you are, if you are truly turning to Christ, like you don't have to carry this burden anymore. Like he bore that burden for you now repent and turn from it. Um, rather than continually looking within yourself and being so over, overly introspective. Um, I think keeping your eyes on Christ and on the cross is really the key. And it's a, it's a hard balance. I mean, I've been there as well, where you become so concerned. Um, you know, there's stories about Martin Luther before his conversion, where he would sit there, um, in his room and just be so paranoid about confessing every little particular sin over and over and over because he knew that there was always more sins, you know? And in a sense, we do need to be concerned over our particular sins, but we need to not be, I think, uh, too introspective to where we take our eyes off Christ and the finished work of Christ. I don't know if you guys agree with that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's one of the big problems that people can get into when pursuing Christ-likeness and pursuing sanctification and growing in their Christian life is that they spend so much time looking at themselves and not enough time with their eyes on Jesus. And, you know, I, we call it belly button gazing. Yeah. You know, we're, we're so introspective. And, and that's not how you grow. You know, we, we grow as we pursue Christ by faith, not as we just sit and, you know, rip ourselves apart over our sin. And so, you know, we, I think that has to be watched out for as well couple of verses that I think uh, deal with this pretty well is Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way. So there's repentance, right? The turning and the unrighteous man, his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. So obviously there's the idea of repentance returning. And it says, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Um, there's also Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. And I, and I think it's important that we celebrate the finished work of Jesus and that repentance is not earning God's favor. Repentance is not wallowing in our sin and, and, and like you said, navel gazing, but it is a sense of r- truly recognizing where we would be apart from Jesus, acknowledging the fact that all we bring to this salvation thing is the sin that needs to be atoned for. And when we come to terms with that, we can celebrate the goodness of Christ and the forgiveness that's provided in him alone as our, as our salvation and our atonement. So, and I think, go ahead, Chris, I was just going to say, and I think the other thing you hit on just a little bit earlier is such an important thing as well. When we understand 
uh, repentance, that repentance is not simply a repeated apology. And I think that, you know, and we could look at it that way, whether we're repenting towards God or whether we're repenting towards other people, uh, that repentance involves a forsaking of sin, like that passage you just read there, that uh, we are to be turning away from that and going in a different direction. And I think that's important to recognize because sometimes I think we can get stuck in this uh, place and to where we're saying, you know, sorry, God, sorry about that. But we're, we're really not sorry. We're just looking for a, a quick forgiveness. And there's no hatred of that sin. Yeah. That there's, there is no looking at that and going, oh, I am just sickened by this. And I, I want to forsake that. I want nothing to do with that. And, you know, that is absent. And it's simply, uh, hey, sorry, God, and then right back to it. Yeah. That, uh, that we've got to see repentance as more than a repeated apology. Yeah, in my in my experience, I've, I've come to kind of see that there's really two groups of, like, Christians, and, and there's two kind of extremes. And so there's the Christian that needs to hear, and, they, and they, uh, there's a Christian that needs to rest in Romans 8, verse 1, right? Because that person is too much, uh, they're too introspective and they're navel-gazing, right? And then there's the other Christian... Um, who needs to read what John Owen would have to say and where you have to literally meditate and cultivate a guilt and like a sickening feeling over your sin because that doesn't come natural for everybody. Some people get there right away and that's good. And then their struggle is they need to rest uh, in Christ more and look at Christ more while other people... Um, they're, 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 they're looking at the cross and they're thankful for forgiveness, but there's not really any kind of development of a hatred over sin. And that doesn't come naturally. And if you read anything that John Owen has said, I think he's got like nine steps to just developing a distaste for your sin, you know, and then turning to Christ. But, you know, out of those nine steps, I think eight of them are, are, are look very negative, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all about, hey, uh, soak yourself with thoughts of your own loathsomeness. And like, you know, that doesn't really sound fun, <laughs> but that's true. A lot of us really need to kind of just bask in the weight of our sin, what it did to Christ, yeah. and just cultivate such a hatred for it. When you look at what it did to your Savior, um, that should that should make you revile it, you know? And, and I think you're nailing that well, Zach, because I think and we have to be careful because there are some people who are listening to us that, hey, you need to, you need to be broken more. You need to really look in the mirror of, of the scripture and see the ugliness of your sin, um, the bondage that uh, it, it, it's producing in your life. Um, and then there's the, the other people that, hey, chin up. Look to Christ. Uh, keep your eyes on the finished work. Know the hope that has been set before you, the the, the blessings that have been given to you as a child of 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 God. I, I think it's important that we we explain both of those. But to the to the first, the Puritans really stressed what they believed is is the gift of tears. This this brokenness. This uh, this idea that. Um, that this truly, this awareness that that the scriptures can have, is it breaks our heart, and and we truly are are brought to a low place of of realizing uh, the filthiness of our sin. That's a good thing. It's just not good to stay there when we when we need to recognize the forgiveness and the the restoration that Christ provides. Um, a passage I also want to read is Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. 
He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoever confesses his sins and forsakes them shall have mercy. Just clearly this idea of being willing to be laid open, uh, not to have these secret compartments where we hide aspects of our, of our fallenness, but we're truly laying bare uh, all, of our, of all of our wretchedness before God, but then celebrating the fact that we're forgiven and there's hope. So um, the, the, the confession moves on. The confession isn't done where we have stopped. It, it actually goes on to say, every man's duty is to endeavor to repent of his particular sins, uh, particularly. <laughs> and uh, we sin particularly, so therefore we should repent particularly. Um, uh, we, we sin in, in precisely, we should repent precisely. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know that I do this enough. I don't know that we as Christians really wrestle with the fact that we, we should be repenting for the offenses we do before our Lord. And, uh, this is something I think that speaks to me regularly is this, uh, fifth part of, of chapter 15 that, you know, we really do need to endeavor to repent, uh, seek to really uh, analyze and, 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 and go through our lives and, and take inventory of those things where we fall short so that we can repent of them. Because repentance is about reconciliation. It's about making right. And, of course, the next section is going to go into private and public confession. And I think that to be able to do proper private and proper public confession, you have to take proper inventory. So I just want to let you guys speak to that a little bit from your own experiences um, as, as guys who are in the ministry, but also just as, as fellow Christians who are fellow, fellow uh, disciples. Yeah, I think, I think when we have a sin that you know, remains like within our heart, and, and it doesn't actually get to the point where it's uh, hurting another person. Like if I have a, a sinful thought or a prideful thought or something, I can repent between me and God and, I, and, and allow him to deal with me according to that. But if it goes to the point where my sin is, uh, if I've sinned against another person, another brother and sister in Christ, then don't you think that part of genuine repentance in that case is going to that person as well and seeking their forgiveness? Um, because if it is about reconciliation, if you've offended a person, you know, you can repent between you and the Lord, and, and you should, but if another person is involved, I think they kind of need to be brought into it, and that needs to be part of a genuine uh, repentant life. I think you need to go and reconcile with that brother or sister. Matthew, Matthew 18 would t- testify to that, Zach. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, I think as you look throughout the gospel accounts that you see that pretty, uh, pretty clearly in the teachings of Jesus, that it not only in, in those cases involves a... Uh, repentance towards God, but also a repentance towards any who may have been involved or, or were wronged in our sin or so on. And I think part part of the reason, uh, if you're on the other side of that and someone comes to you genuinely repentant and, and seeks your forgiveness, I think in light of what Christ has done for us, that's why we would we would urge you to not hold a grudge and and take them at their word that they are truly repentant and and you know and t- time will tell if it is genuine repentance or not but but you should take that Christian brother at his word if he comes to you broken over his sin and says hey you know I love you I'm sorry please forgive me um, you know I think sometimes the tendency is to be personally offended and kind of hold on to that maybe privately but that would actually be a wrong response. Um, when you look at the gospel and the forgiveness that Christ offers, we should be we should be quick to offer that forgiveness as well. I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as, as you're as you're talking about this, I, a million things are going through my head as a pastor, and just the the <laughs> reality of the way 
the enemy is seeking to uh, devour us, right? He, 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 is, um, he is a lion who's in the pursuit of us. And um, one of the things that just really strikes me is that how division is caused in the church. And a lot of this is because there's unrepentant sin. Uh, we, uh, we don't encourage, uh, our, our, our people as we should to go. And when you've offended somebody, go and be reconciled. Yet, uh, second Corinthians chapter five tells us we've been given the ministry of reconciliation and that ministry of reconciliation, I think begins with repentance and, and, and having hard conversations as you guys both have been kind of alluding to, but on the other side of it, I think you were alluding to something to Zach that, that sometimes when people do come to us, we don't know, are they really sorry? Or how many times am I supposed to forgive, right? This gets into right. a whole nother level uh, of, of, of questions that Jesus had to answer. And so let's kind of probe there for a little bit. What does that look like when, when somebody comes and, hey, this is the same guy coming to the same apology over again? What do you do with that? Well, I think on one level, um, the you know, just to go to the other side of it, there there should be wisdom on our part. And, and so not allowing us, if there's a pattern of, hey, I'm sorry, forgive me over and over again. I mean, you, you can guard yourself in whatever situation that is so you don't continually get hurt over and over. Um, but I think, uh, according to Jesus, we should take people at their word. And if they are coming, we do need to extend forgiveness no matter how many times that may be. I mean, I'm sure there's wisdom that goes along with that, like I said, but um, we can't really hold grudges as Christians, we, we shouldn't do that. We've got a debt that's been forgiven, and so we're called to forgive others um, their debts as well, you know? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who <laughs> have sinned against us, right? Um, so I think that's just part of the Christian life, and that is a struggle because you don't want to, you know, sometimes you feel like a fool, you don't want to be taken advantage of and keep getting sinned against over and over, but we are called to continually forgive, so it, it's not easy. It's tough, but... Yeah, I totally agree with you there, Zach. You know, it's a matter of, from our hearts, genuinely forgiving them. You know, we're Christians. That's what Jesus has called us to do. Um, You know, it it really is an evidence of our own salvation that we forgive others. And, you know, as we see how much God has forgiven us and all the sin he's forgiven us for, that we are to forgive others who sin against us. Uh, At the same time, there is that other side to where, okay, I want to use wisdom into the future. Like if this is becoming a, a frequently repeated thing, then I think one, we, we want to make sure we're being wise in uh, how we are you know, posturing ourselves. Not that we're holding a grudge, but that we're just making sure that we're not putting ourselves constantly into a compromised position, if at all possible. Um, and on the other side of that, perhaps there needs to even be a conversation of, hey, you know, I forgive you. Why does this keep happening? Um, is there actual repentance taking place? Or, or is it just, you know, guilt and an apology? And there, there's not things actually going on. And so from a pastoral perspective, we might want to actually take the time to dig a little deeper with that and not merely just accept an apology, but uh, to help to nurture repentance in whatever that particular area of sin might be. When you look at the, the scriptures, and you specifically, I'm looking at Psalm uh, 51, and you see David's heart of repentance there. Um, he, he makes a, a, a particular statement, against you and you only have I sinned. 
Well, when we look at David's life, we know that, that well, come on. <laughs> I mean, you, you <laughs> think about Uriah, that poor guy, right? Lost his wife, eventually loses his life um, uh, because of the sin of David. But not only, not only Uriah, all of the people that, that David the king over, their king has now sinned against them. Um, and yet he makes that statement, against you and you only have I sinned. What does that have in light of everything we're talking about? What, is, what, are the, what do those words have to say to what we're dealing with today? I think, I think image of God is part of that. Um, the people that you've sinned against are created in the image of God. They represent him. Um, and wronging, wronging a fellow image bearer is wronging God himself, I would say. So I think that's definitely a certain aspect of it. I think that's a great aspect of it as well. It's that's definitely a a bit of a tricky passage I think when we consider, you know, and I've thought about that quite a bit too. You know, David has wronged all these different people and you know yet says against you and you alone have I sinned. I think it comes down to this as well that all sin is ultimately against God. And I do think that comes down to the issue of being uh, image bearers. That, uh, but that as we sin against others, we are ultimately sinning against God as well. So then my natural progression from that is, if, if it was good enough for David just to say, hey, God, I'm forg- I ask forgiveness from you, then, I'm, then he's done? And yet we're saying, no, you need to go and repent to the people particularly you, you sin against. How, you know, I, I look at the, the fruit of David's life, right? And, and it was mm-hmm. a mess. You look, at, you look at his sins of his sons. That household was in wreckage. Um, people taking his concubines. I mean, just just division and divisiveness, and I mean, just sin in every crevice. And I would say that's the fruit of of what it looks like when you have yeah. unrepentance in, in in your house, and and then when it spurs over into your spills over into your church. And I think this is why real repentance is necessary. Our children learn how to repent from us as parents um, when we can go to them and say, I've wronged you, you know, and let's pray to God and let's, let's, let, me, let me confess my sin to God before you. And some parents say, why would you ever want to do that? Well, because I want my kids to learn what repentance is. And I want them to understand that when you wrong somebody, even if it's somebody who's younger than you, you have a responsibility to put things right. And I think... That's some of the foundations, I think, that we have to be looking at as they're coming from this teaching, that the true saving faith produces, uh, is also produced with real saving repentance. And, and that is one that is all of life. It's a flow. It's a living river flowing through us. It's not just a one-time ordeal. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot here, speaking just as a pastor, looking at relationships. You know, we could, we could spend all day talking about uh, the, 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 the division sometimes between the, there's no sin too small that doesn't deserve the wrath of God, no sin too great that, uh, get, that it can't be repaid for. But when you look at this whole teaching of repentance, maybe what are, if you had to pick one of the main things that really hits you, what, what would it be? I think the main thing for me in, in considering the, the Bible's teaching on repentance would be the aspect of humility, that it really requires us to go before God in a state of humility in acknowledging our sin and in seeking his grace, not only for 
forgiveness, but also for empowerment. Uh, to it, it involves us coming before God and acknowledging, I am weak, I am needy, and I need you. I need your help. I need your strength. Uh, I need you to transform me. I am not all that I should be. And that is a very humble place to, to have to come to. And I think as we go before others in genuine repentance as well, that we're coming before them in a similar way, uh, it, it takes a great deal of humility to, to go before somebody and to acknowledge that you have sinned against them, to seek their forgiveness. Uh, you know, I, so I think humility is probably one of the main things that always comes to my mind when I think about repentance. For me, I think that uh, one of the things that everyone you know needs to keep in mind is that there, there's not really any neutrality when it comes to the call to repenting and believing the gospel. And so even as Christians, I think sometimes we can fall into that trap of thinking, all right, well, yeah, I'm supposed to repent of this. I can deal with it later. Uh, you know, Christ has forgiven me or whatever. But that's that's really a rejection of the of the call to repent and believe. So there's not there's not any neutrality. If you look at the people in Acts chapter two, when Peter explains, "Hey, this is Christ. You crucified him. You guys are wicked. Uh, God's raised him up now." And then their response essentially is, "Well, what should we do?" And then the call is to repent and be baptized. You know, and so uh, repenting and belief is is our duty, you know, as Christians continually. So to not do that or to put it off isn't being neutral. It's really a rejection, you know, of the gospel. And so I think it's just silly to think that there's any kind of neutral point here, even for the believer. So just to continually remember that. Well, as I look at this, I'll I'll be honest with you, there's a lot here that really strikes me. I think the big one that I've already stated for me is, is really spending time and taking inventory and, uh, and, and, and praying over the specific sins, not just generalizing them, because I think as you do that, you come to term with the things that you need to be wrestling with. And uh, John Owen's famous quote, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Um, I think we don't do that enough. We don't take sin serious enough. But I think the equal part that, that yeah. is a, needs to be reminded in my own life is that this is a grace. This isn't something I do. It's not something I earn. Uh, it's not something I personally work for. It's a grace. It, repentance comes out of the grace of God, and um, and we, and we need to we need to we need to rest in that. That the very fact as as somebody comes to me and says, "How do I know I'm saved?" Uh, you know, I'm not going to convince you you're saved, but I will tell you it's a great sign that you're concerned about it. It's a great sign that you're wrestling with uh, uh, your sin. That's repentance is a great fruit that that identifies uh, the children of God and. But it is real repentance, as you've already stated, Chris and Zach. It's not just lip service; it's a it's a real heart condition. And so, I just want to encourage our listeners to take this section, and if you have a copy of the Westminster Confession or the 1689, spend some time really resting in this 15th chapter on uh, the repentance unto life, because I think there's a lot here that we all have to grow in if we're gonna be if we're gonna be more faithful in our walk of Christ. And I think it's not just simple lip service or, or, uh, or going to the other extreme, as we've already talked about it, just feeling that there's no way I could ever be forgiven. I'm, I'm too sinful because then you're making God weak. You're making God small and you're saying Christ's blood isn't, isn't uh, powerful enough to even redeem you. And who do you think you are yeah. <laughs> that you think you're uh, uh, more powerful? Your sins are more powerful than God. So, 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, then Christ as the mediator, you know, he's not, he's not powerful enough to, to be an effective mediator for you is really, and, and in a strange way, it's almost like an arrogant thing to assume that, you know, and you have to be careful as a friend, how you approach that with someone when you give them that counsel, but really point them toward that, you know, Hey, you really have a, a too high a view of yourself and of your sin. And Christ is much more powerful than that. So I think a lot of people probably need to hear that. Romans chapter uh, 5, 6, 7, and 8, I would say, are great places to camp out on this battle for sin in this life. And as we look to uh, the second Adam, Christ, and, and, and the federal headship and the, the salvation he has wrought, we recognize that there is a true change that does occur in us. We, we go from death to life, and yet the struggle is real. And repentance needs to be real. Yeah. And so, again, I just uh, really want to encourage our listeners to spend some time taking this section really serious and not just from a philosophical or theological uh, standpoint, but from a practical day-to-day doing inventory kind of standpoint. And I would guess, and you guys guys, uh, know know this as well as I do, that that there's a lot of repenting that needs to happen person-to-person within the church, outside the church, (laughs) Um, but um, most importantly before God. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Fellas, anything else you want to add? I think that's all. Um, just to give you a quick quote, I think you guys probably already know this, but just think about the seriousness of this. It's from Thomas Watson, and he said, "Either sin must drown in the tears of repentance, or the soul must burn in hell." So, <laughs> for anyone who needs to get shaken up, if you're too lackadaisical, think about Man. the truth of that statement. And in all seriousness, um, that's a very true statement. Wow. You know, yeah, it's a good word. Well, gentlemen, uh, put your rompers on. uh, (laughs) Oh, no. Repent. Yes. Repent and believe. (laughs) We'll catch you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com. And be sure to like our Facebook page. Ooh.